Give your God a hand of praise. He's worthy. We thank you for your love, God. We thank you for your love today. It is beyond measure, God. We thank you for reminding us. Just reminding us, God. That no matter what life looks like, no matter what's going on around us, no matter who is acting unlovingly, Lord God, no matter what, situations may be you love us yes, Lord. you love us Jesus and we're grateful for that today we honor you God you are worthy hallelujah praise the name of the Lord he amen. is good yes, amen yes. he is good open your Bibles please to the book of Acts chapter 8 the book of Acts chapter 8 and we'll begin reading in verse 1 book of Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. When you got it, say so. And it says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth, Heavenly Father. We thank you because today we have been able to worship you, God. We have been able to exalt your name. God, we have been able to worship you in truth and in spirit. God, we've been able to be reminded of your, of your great love for us. And so, God, we pray now for these next few moments as we will be in your word, God, that you will speak to our hearts. God, we ask you to give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. And we pray, dear God, that you would be glorified in our lives, that we would not simply be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers. God, that we would be empowered with faith, Lord God, to respond to you, to live out the gospel as you have called us as your children. We thank you for this, and we ask you all these things in Jesus' good name. And someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so we are in the book of Acts, and we have gone through chapters 1 through 7. If you remember last week, the, the, the scripture talked about Stephen being a martyr. He was the first person to die for preaching the gospel recorded in the book of Acts. And the scripture says here, now Saul was consenting to his death, so he was there. They were putting their clothing at his feet. And, and when you look at the book of Acts, chapters 1 through 7, you will find that this is a described as a period of testing. And so what we've already looked at in chapters 1 through 7 historically, and what God was doing was God was again repeating himself to the children of Israel specifically. Remember, they were in Jerusalem. That's where the church began. And so God was preaching to them through his apostles and through the church there, and they were rejecting him. And so what happened was this great persecution arises. And so in chapters 8 through 12, you're going to see a period of transition in which the ministry moves from Jerusalem to Antioch. 
The gospel is shared with Samaritans and Gentiles. To this point, the gospel has only been shared through the apostles and through the church with, with people who are, who, are, who are natural born Jews. And so now it will go to Samaritans. Today we'll see that. And it will go to Gentiles moving on, I think, in chapter 10. And then we're going to also see something else is going to happen is that Paul, this guy right now that is named Saul, we're going to see him take the forefront and become a great leader in the church. But that doesn't happen yet. And so we're going to look at what happens here. The result of Stephen being murdered was an intensified persecution against the church. What do the scriptures say here? It says, now Saul was consenting to his death. And at that time, a great persecution, say great persecution, arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. And if you look down at verse 3, it says this, as for Saul, he made havoc on the church. Now, I want you to understand what that word havoc means. In, in outside or in, in extra biblical use, outside of the Bible, this was like a wild animal, like the way a wild animal devours prey. That's what it was describing what Paul or Saul here was doing to the church. He was totally wrecking everything. You just imagine for a moment you being in your house and someone knocking on your door. Yesterday morning we were sleeping in and um, my doorbell rang at like 1030. Hallelujah. And usually, you know, I let it ring once, and I'm like, okay, if it's important, it's going to ring again. Amen? Hallelujah. I'm just saying, when I'm sleeping like that, you know, I'm like, I'm still knocked out. And, 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 and the doorbell rings, and I'm like, okay, it rang. I'm like, who's coming? You know, because I think like that, right? I'm like, who's, who's at my door? Was I expecting someone? Did I miss something? You know, let me look at my calendar. Did I miss an appointment? Ding dong. I'm like, oh, glory to God. I'm like, this must be important. It rang twice, right? So I get up. I go to the door. <laughs> huh? No, no, no. It wasn't Girl Scout cookies. Out. It was. It was a shock to me because in my neighborhood, right outside, it says no soliciting. So I, when I when I saw these people that I didn't know, I was like, "What are they doing here?" And they had some pamphlets for me because they were going to tell me about Jesus. Well, they were going to tell me about a Jesus. Amen. Hello, somebody. It was early in the morning. I hadn't brushed my teeth yet, and they were speaking in Spanish. So I said, this is going to get real ugly. So I was like, okay, thank you very much. I appreciate that, man. And I took the, I took the pamphlet, and I was I, I actually went, I have to be honest. I went, I said, man, let me read this. I'm going to go, you know, anyway, I just, I had a seat. We'll just leave it like that. And I just read, you know, it was the first thing I woke up. So I was like, well, this is my reading material right now. And so I was just trying to see some things. But anyway, the point is. That, that doorbell ring, right? Imagine if that doorbell ring was somebody with a group of people there and they were coming in the house saying, do you believe in this Jesus? And if I say yes, they come up in my house and they take all of us out of my house and they imprison us. Now, that's what was going on. Now, you know, that's kind of, especially in our days, you know, we feel like, again, no soliciting, all that kind of stuff. And so people can't just be coming to your door, supposedly, hello. Right? There's some privacy, you know, people, people real have, have these privacy things. But in those days, this wasn't, with, it wasn't like that. Saul goes and he's like, look, if you believe in this Jesus, you're going to jail. And you're not just going to jail just to hang out for a little while. You're going to jail until you recant. In other words, you're going to jail until you reject Jesus. You're going to jail until you say you don't believe in him. And if you will not do that, then we'll kill you. 
Understand this is what it means. That's why, it's, that, that's why it's utilized as the picture of a wild animal devouring its prey. Because that is how. And the reason why Saul was like this is because Saul, if you read throughout, because Saul, this person here, he wrote most of our New Testament. And when you look at him, I believe it's in the book of Philippians, he's talking about himself. And he's saying that he is a Hebrew of Hebrews by the, by the law and by the Pharisees. He was impeccable. He was blameless. I mean, this guy was devoted to the scriptures. This guy was devoted to the law. He was was devoted to Jehovah God 100%. He was serious and he was infuriated that someone was coming on the scene that a group of people were growing and they were saying, this Jesus, he died in your place and so no longer do you have to keep these laws in order to be saved. Somebody was saying, wait a second, these things are changed. And so he, and along with all these other leaders, they said, you know what, you go ahead, we give you the right hand of fellowship, and here's papers, and you go. And you just, and anyone who calls on the name of Jesus, anyone who says that they believe in him is worthy to go to prison. And then they're going to be brought to trial for them to be killed. And so what happened was the enemy was the one who deceived Saul. And here's what I want you to realize, and this, this becomes so very important because we're looking at this hardship or this difficulty that was taking place against the church. There was this persecution that was risen up, and it wasn't because they had large gatherings. That wasn't the issue. It wasn't because they were all getting together. The issue was Jesus. The issue was the message of the gospel. If you remember, every time that they brought him, they're like, man, you're going to cause us to be the ones who are guilty for his blood. You're going to say that we're the ones who killed Jesus. So they, they did not want that to be spreading throughout Jerusalem. People were getting saved. People were, as the scripture said, God continued to add to the church daily. And so they wanted one thing, and that was to silence the message. And so Saul rises up, and the whole point is to silence the message. And here's what we have to realize, that every battle that we face, listen, church, every battle that we face really boils down to one thing, the message of the gospel. It boils down to, am I going to be a messenger faithfully, no matter what I'm facing? Listen, I'm a firm believer that many times things that rise up in our lives, the enemy is just trying to distract us from the main purpose because he wants us talking about our problems, talking about our issues, focusing on those things rather than focusing on Jesus, talking about Jesus. And it's not to say that problems don't matter. It's not to say we shouldn't deal with problems. It's not to say that problems are not difficult. But the reality is we have to understand what the enemy wants. The enemy wants us to stop talking about Jesus. Because Jesus is the solution to the issue that everybody on planet earth has. And that is a sin issue. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But here's the thing that I want to do. I want to encourage you for a moment. Because it is important that we always keep in mind that regardless of the persecution that is due to the message of the gospel. Regardless of the hardship. God is always with us. And all things will turn out for our good and for his glory. This is the beauty that we have in Jesus. It is that we know that no matter what comes against us, as long as we are walking with our Lord, as long as we are walking with our Savior, we are assured that all things, not some things, say all things. The Bible didn't say some things work together. He said all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And so you and I need to be encouraged by that reality. Now, here's another thing that I want you to understand. Nothing, say this, say this with me, say nothing can stop, nothing can stop. The, advancement the, gospel, the advancement of the gospel except a loss of devotion. 
Nothing can stop the advancement of the gospel except a loss of devotion. The enemy's goal, stop the gospel from being preached. The enemy's goal, stop the gospel from being communicated. The enemy's goal, keep the people of God so distracted, so discouraged, so overwhelmed with life that they will not go forward to preach the gospel. Here is the bottom line. We are called out of darkness into a relationship with Jesus to do what? To sit and twiddle our thumbs? We are called out of darkness in order to become the light. Jesus didn't. He, look, look what he says to his disciples. He says to his disciples, he says, you are, say you are, the light of the world. That's what he said to his disciples. Of course, Jesus is the ultimate light. But he was telling them, you are the light of the world. So when Jesus calls us out of darkness, it is for what? For us to be luminaries, for us to be those who are going forward as light bearers under this world, communicating the wonders of what Jesus has done for us. And the only way that that stops is when we lose devotion. The only way that that stops is when we lose our passion. I was talking in, in, in our connect group, and I was saying, guys, I said, you know, I said, it's amazing. I said, because when you think about something, I, I gave the example, and I always do this whenever I'm talking about how we should talk about Jesus and how it should be. I said, when I first became, when, when, when I first became a Christian, the first thing, one of my first prayers was, Jesus, I need a wife. Straight up. I was like, I know, I'm not, I, don't, I know I don't have that gift, all right? That gift, I'm, I don't have that one. And so I know that I need, I need the other gift. I need a wife, amen? Glory to God. I don't have this one. I'm just saying, even if you want to get, I don't want that one, amen? I was like, I was, I was rejecting that. Straight up. So I prayed. I met a girl, and it, it wasn't this beautiful woman before me, but I met a girl, and I was like, okay, Lord, I think this is the one. So I tried to convince myself that this was the one. All kind of stuff, you know, and I won't get into that part of the story because it really doesn't matter. But here's the point. Well, it does matter. Don't be trying to convince yourself. Amen? Let God show you. Don't be trying to look in the scripture and find confirmation when it ain't there. You know, just be like, well, you know, every time, straight up, every time we got together, I'm like, well, did you feel something? What's she supposed to feel? I mean, hello. I mean, what, you know, what, what I mean, did you feel like God confirming? Confirming what? Just, you know, love Jesus. Anyway, that's, that's what matters in that part of the story. Fast forwarding, I met this beautiful woman, glory to God. I still wanted to, you know, in, in my mind, I wanted to be with this other girl, but I met this other woman, and we just became friends, right? She was a choir director. She tricked me into being in the choir. <laughs> Become part of the choir, and, and I, I, don't have a, I don't have a car, right? So I'm like, can you pick me up to bring me to choir practice? So, you know, I tricked her. Glory to God. <laughs> right? We're just tricking each other. Amen. Hallelujah. A lot of tricks going on. But, and, and <laughs> don't take that the wrong way. But here, but... <laughs> So here's the thing. So she's picking me up on Saturday mornings. We're going to choir practice. Then, you know, I'm like, well, she takes me to choir practice. So on Wednesday nights, we had, we had service. And my mom and grandmother, they like to leave right away. But, you know, me, I like to talk, right? So I want a fellowship. So I'm like, hey, you think you can take me home? She's like, sure. I tricked her again. <laughs> so in all sincerity, there in my mind, okay, there was like nothing that was, you know, going on in my mind. Something else was happening in my heart. I didn't realize it. So she would take me home. We would sit in, my, in, in, in the car in front, of my, in front of my house, and we would talk for hours and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, the guy who was the best man in my wedding, him and I were talking on the phone, and we used to talk, you know, a couple times a week. And one day he tells me on the phone, he's like, dude, he's like, you know, you always talk about Elaine. I'm like, what? I'm like, what are, you, what are you talking about, man? I don't know what you're th-. He's like, brother, every time we have a conversation, you bring her up. I was like, no, man, you're crazy. Like, you're crazy. He wasn't crazy. What happened was something was going on in my heart. She was on my heart. She was on my mind. 
And guess what she was coming out of? My mouth. The reason why I bring this up is because when we really love Jesus, talking about him is not the issue. Not talking about him is the issue. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It is not. See, because it becomes natural. The problem with us is that we're in a culture that tells us you can't talk about him here. That's not politically correct here. You can't do it here. And so we condition ourselves to shut up about him. And then when we're allowed to talk about him, we don't because we're talking about other stuff. But can I tell you the solution to all of that? I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. The solution to all of that is really spending time with him. Because when you spend time with him, you're going to be politically incorrect. That's just the bottom line. You, you are going to be in moments when you probably shouldn't, and you did. And I, my bad. You know, I mean, I'm saying fire me. I'm, just, I'm not saying go get fired. That is not what I'm saying, okay? But my point is, okay, there is going to, Pastor Robert was telling me about a gentleman at his job. He's like, listen, this guy, he shouldn't have a job. I won't say his name, but here's the point. He's like, he should not have a job because he is always Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He don't care. He is just continuing. Why? Because the guy is spending time with Christ and that is what is overflowing his life. And so the point is this, I'm not saying you shouldn't be able to talk about sports and talk about weather and talk about all of these other things and be well-rounded. What I am saying is that the primary thing is that if we don't have a devotion and passion for him, we won't talk about him. We won't share the gospel because it is something that is not happening in our lives. That's the reason why I say the gospel for us, the gospel is not just the beginning for Christians. It is the life of the Christian. And when we become more and more overwhelmed by the gospel and what Jesus has done, and as we meditate in the scriptures and we see the things that he's saying, we cannot help but talk to others about him. No matter what the situations are around us. Amen? Amen. Repeat this with me. Say, external pressure, pressure. Only, brings out only brings out what is on the inside. Listen, we can blame him and we can blame her and we can blame them for what came out of my mouth. But you want to know why that came out of your mouth? Because that was in your heart. Well, if they wouldn't have cut me off, I wouldn't have. No. No. I don't care. No, no, no. That, that's what's here. That is what is here. Well, and, 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 and it, then, then the question comes in, how does all of that get there? Well, there's different avenues. It gets there through TV. It gets there through conversation. It gets there through different stuff. The bottom line is, can I tell you where it comes from? It comes from your nature. It comes from my nature. We are born with it. And so it's important what we feed ourselves because what we feed ourselves, that is what we are filling ourselves with. And when I say feed ourselves, I don't just mean eat in the physical. I mean what we feed ourselves, what we're watching, what we're listening to, what we're engaging in in conversation. All of those things have the possibility of contaminating our hearts more. And then what comes out when the external pressure and situations come, right away, the things that are inside of you come out. When my, when my wife and I first got married, you know, they, they, they say different things. They say, you know, the first year is the hardest year. The first five years are the hardest years. I say it like this. It depends on who you're married to. Because your marriage could be hard all 50 years. Glory to God. Amen, somebody. Every year could be hard. It just be rough. It just depends, right? But here's the point. The point is, my wife and I first get married. She's, my wife is a little older than me. I know you can't tell because I look older than her. But the bottom line is... My wife is older than me. She's more independent, right? And so as we get married and she's learning what submission means and I'm learning what, you know, leadership in the home means and all that is happening, there came a point in our relationship where she was done. And she was done and so she used the next D word and I was like, whoa, 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 time out. I said, that word is not even an option in our relationship. 
And But you know where that comes from? It comes from someone else. It comes not, not, not from someone, a person. It comes from somewhere else because that's what people do when things get hard. Oh, this ain't going to work. It's not going to work, so we can't Wait a second. What, 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 where, where is repentance at? Where is forgiveness at? Where is communication at? Where is that love that covers all sin? Where is all of that at? That's all in your Bible, amen, somebody? And if it's in your Bible and you're in your Bible, guess where it should be also? In your heart. And you would understand that when they asked Jesus, well, why did, why did he give, right? He said, why did Moses give the, the ability to get divorced? Well, he did it because of the hardness of your hearts. But now you have the Holy Ghost. So guess what? The Holy Ghost changes your heart. And so please, if you're on your road to 50 years of difficulty, repent. Amen? Let's, let, let, let's make today a new day. Glory to God. All right? But here's the thing. External pressure only brings out what is on the inside. I've said this before. I've used this analogy. My dad was the one who shared it with me. I'm positive he didn't make it up and didn't come up with it. But the point is, you take a sponge, right? You look at a sponge. You look at it on the outside, it looks like anything else. But when that sponge has been soaked in a specific liquid, right, what happens is when you squeeze that sponge, no matter what it looks like, whatever's inside, it's coming out. It's the same thing with us. You can dress like a Christian. You can know how to put on your Sunday best, but when I squeeze you, what's going to come What's going to come out? Right? Not when I necessarily, but I'm just saying, when you get squeezed, right? When you get squeezed in relationship and someone offends you, what do you do? Do you go pray for that person? Do you go in and turn or, or do you like I, 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 that's a sign I need to stay away from them? What is it that, that happens? So that's what comes out. Well, look what comes out here. When, when, when you talk about persecution, persecution is the highest type of external pressure, hardship, external pressure. So look at verse 4 with me. It says, it says this. It says, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere crying. Those who were scattered went everywhere complaining. Those who were scattered went everywhere gossiping about those crazy Jews in Jerusalem. Everyone, no, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that everyone that was scattered, they went everywhere doing what? Preaching the word. That's what they did. Hardship came, difficulty came. Guess what they did? They did what was natural to them. They did what was poured into them. They, they did that thing. So we see, it goes on to say, verse 5, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many, excuse me, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Say, there was great joy in that city. The first thing that we see here, remember we talked about Saul? We see Saul is a fierce persecutor. But then we see in the church and we see in Philip, we see faithful preachers. Saul was a fierce persecutor. He hated the church and he wanted to kill anyone who believed and stood for the name of Jesus because he felt that it was in opposition to the law of God. It was in opposition to God. And let me say it like this. Jesus is an opposition to the laws because he says that you cannot please me by doing anything. There is nothing that you can do to, to appease me and make me feel that you are good enough. I have to die in your place. Paul was like, no, nah, man, it ain't like that. He's like, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees, man. He's like, all my peers, they see me, I'm righteous. They call me righteous. This guy's saying, you need Jesus. He's like, hold on a second. I don't need Jesus. I'm righteous. I, I obey the law. 
Doesn't matter. You need Jesus. So he's, he's a hater. He's like, man, I do not want, I do not want to hear that. And so the church, persecution rises, pressure comes. What do they start doing? They start preaching the gospel. Because when they were in Jerusalem, what were they doing? They were going to the temple. They were praying three times a day. These people were so overflowed with the Holy Ghost. It was amazing. They were going to church three times a day to go pray. Hallelujah. Glory to God. <laughs> Praise the name of Three times a day, not once a week. Y'all ain't hearing me. Three times a day, not 930 on Sunday morning. Amen. Now y'all are hearing me. Three times a day, they were going 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock. They were stopping everything, coming to the house of the Lord to pray. And then, hallelujah, they were going to hang out at someone's house to hear more preaching. To, to, to really explain what it was that, you know, Peter, man, that, that was crazy. What, what was he saying? And they, they were breaking this thing down. And so these, these people were sitting down. And like Philip, like I said about Stephen, remember I said last week it said that they couldn't resist him, right? The spirit and the wisdom that he had because Stephen was sitting down in those circles. And he was like, man, what about this? And he was saying, this is Jesus. And what about that? That's what Jesus did. And what about this? That's and so they, they were so overwhelmed by the understanding of who Jesus was, it came natural to them. Philip, he gets up, he starts preaching Christ. He goes to Samaria, he starts to preach the gospel. He begins to communicate the word of God. The church was equipped. That's what the church is supposed to be. Everything that I say. I say this every week and I'll preach the gospel. And what I, mean, what I mean by that is I will specifically share the gospel in a few moments. And the reason I do that is because I want to make sure that you are thoroughly equipped. So that way when you talk to someone, you know how to share the gospel. Not only that, but I don't want you to forget the gospel. Amen. I, I just want, because the gospel is for you, amen. The gospel, I want to remind myself of the gospel. We need this gospel. And so the point of the matter is, what did they do? Pressure came, hardship came, they started preaching. They were like, well, you know what, we're separated from our leaders, but this is all we know how to do. They preach, so we're going to preach. And the scripture says what? It says that they started preaching, and then, and then, and then this guy, um, Philip, he like stands out because for whatever reason was, the Holy Spirit decided to use Philip. Remember, I said I love Stephen because he was the first guy that was a non-apostle. Signs and wonders were happening. Guess what Philip is? He's the second one. He's the second one that is recorded. And there's some reasons, and we're going to get into those reasons why God decides to point out, in my opinion anyway, in this particular portion of Scripture, and begins to follow this ministry that Philip begins to do. But here's what happens. He begins to preach. He begins to share the gospel. And the reason why I had you repeat that last verse, in verse 8, it said, and there was great joy in that city, is because the ultimate goal of us preaching the gospel is to see the joy of salvation overtake our cities. Are you hearing me, church? The purpose of us preaching the gospel is not because we want to make people feel bad about their sin. It is because we want them to know about the hope that there is in Jesus. But can I tell you something? If you don't have joy of salvation, you will never preach a joyous gospel. If there is, You know what I hear so many Christians communicate? I hear Christians communicate how hard it is to serve Jesus. That's what we talk about. Oh, this is difficult to say no to sin. Is it really that difficult to say no to sin? Is it really? I mean, I'm, I'm being serious. It's hard. I get that. But, is it, but, but, but when you get to say yes to Jesus, when you get to say yes to what he has said yes, it's, it's, it's not that hard. I mean, you think about it. You know, whenever you think about something like when I'm going to trade something off, right, when you, when, when you get the better side of the deal, it's not that hard to get rid of this. 
Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. Hold on a second. Well, what I'm saying is when I say no to sin, I get the better part of the deal when I say yes to Jesus. Because while I'm saying no to this temporary sin, I get a relationship. I get an intimacy with him. I get to experience him. Not tomorrow, but now. When I say no to sin, I'm saying, well, what I'm saying is I'm saying, no, I, I don't want to dishonor Jesus. I want to honor him. And here's, the, here's what I want you to understand. It's not because you said no to sin, now you have access to him. That's not it. You have access. This is going to sound so crazy. You have access to Jesus whether you say no to sin or not. Did you hear what I just said? Now, don't take that for granted. Because that's what we do. Oh, I can say yes to sin and still have Jesus? Yeah, but you're in trouble because you may be in a bad place. I'm just saying. Because Jesus said, many are going to come to me in that day and say, you know, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do great works in your name? Did, and he's going to say, apart from me, I never knew you. You worker of iniquity because you kept saying yes to sin. And like, I got Jesus. I have sin. I, no, wait a second. We're not talking about schizophrenic Christianity here. Hello. What I'm saying is, you say, is this the problem? This is where the gospel comes in. It is because it is not because of my goodness that I have access to him. It is because of his sacrifice that I have access to him. It is because of his goodness that I have access to him. Listen, it's not about me feeling better about myself. Oh, well, you know what? I said no to that sin. I said no to that sin. They cut me off. I didn't use my finger. They cut me off. I didn't curse them out. They didn't. Wait, wait a second. Now, now you feel great about yourself, so now you think Jesus loves you more? Really? I can do nothing to make Jesus love me more. I can do nothing to make him care about me more. I can do nothing to make him smile on me more. He did all that out on the cross. That's why the gospel is so important for us. Because when I fail, and you will, when I fall short, and you will, guess what? He's not there like, man, I don't want to talk to you. Like, I don't know you. He's not, he's not doing that. When I fall or when I fail, he is there to embrace me. He is there to love me. He is there to empower me not to fall, not to fail again. That's the beauty of our Savior. But when we have the joy of salvation, we will preach a joyous gospel. We will preach a gospel of hope, not a gospel of despair. And it doesn't mean, and I want you to understand this, church, you need to make sure, and, I, and, and we, we'll get into this, we need to make sure that we are faithful, and that's actually the next point, we need to be faithful to preach the gospel, and that is the whole gospel, not just the good part, we need to talk about the bad part, amen? Because if I don't talk about the bad part, I don't let, you, you will never know how good the good part really is, hello. I'm just saying, if, 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 if you don't know how bad this is, if you don't know how bad the situation really is, you're never going to rejoice in how good it is. And here's the thing. You can never paint the picture well enough to help someone to understand how bad it really is. Say this with me. The preaching of the gospel, the of the gospel must always be clear. Read with me from verse 9, and we'll read to verse 24, and then I'm going to come and, I'll, t- and, and I'll, I'll talk about some of this gospel stuff in here. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. They heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. 
Then Simon himself also believed, and when, and, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now, I just want to point out for a moment, notice what they did. They responded in faith, and they were baptized. Amen? They responded in faith, and, and listen, they made a confession of faith, and all of those things had to have happened. But the point was, the greater confession came when they decided to submit themselves to baptism because they were saying, listen, this is the way that I publicly declare my faith in Jesus. So they, they, they made this a point in, in the message that he was preaching. Obviously, they didn't hear this from somewhere else. So they heard about baptism and the preaching of the gospel. So we should be able to communicate that when we are preaching the gospel, that you should make a, devote, a commitment to Jesus and then be openly baptized as a sign of your dying and rising up with him again into newness of life. It says, then Simon himself also believed in verse 13, when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing miracles and signs which were done. Verse 14 says, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of of, of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, let's pause for a moment because I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I want you to understand the reason why the, the apostles had to come over here. Remember what I said. The gospel had only been preached by the apostles to who? To the Jewish people in Jerusalem. And so what is happening now is that the gospel is now being preached for the first time to people who are half-Jews. They're not complete. They're half-Jews. They're Samaritans, so they're mixed. And so what is happening is they needed an apostle or they needed a leadership of the church, someone who was a designated leader to affirm that they were part of the church. This is what has happened. That's the only reason why this happened. Because today we don't have to wait for someone to lay hands on us to receive the Holy Spirit. The moment we confess our sin and are born again, the Spirit of God fills us. Amen? And so they come down there to affirm that these people have heard the gospel and that they are genuine disciples. Now notice what they're doing because this is important for what I'm going to say when I start talking about this guy, Simon. He said, and when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. I said in the beginning that we have to be faithful to preach the gospel. We have to make sure that we are preaching the gospel. The first thing I want you to notice is that Philip was not the first miracle worker the Samaritans had seen. The first miracle worker, the first person who was doing spectacular signs and spectacular wonders was this guy named Simon. Simon came in there, and according to tradition, you know, when, when someone came in and they had that kind of power, you know, did some amazing things, they had to be close to God. And so they said, this guy's the great power of God. But when Philip comes into this place, remember what it said earlier, though? It said that Simon, he, he said what? He said that he was someone great. Philip comes in here, and he starts preaching the gospel, and he says, Jesus is someone great. See, the difference between the two was who they were pointing to. 
Philip pointing to Jesus. Simon pointing to himself. When we look at Simon here, we see him, and it would seem like, you know, because when you read there, he's like, he believed, and he was baptized, right? That, that's so wild, man. He did everything that everyone else was doing. Remember what I said about the apostles? The apostles were coming down, and they were doing what? They were confirming that these people were part of the church. Simon is sitting there. Notice what it said about him. It said he stuck, he stuck with Philip. He was watching Philip. He's like, man, how does he do this stuff? How does he cast out these demons? How, how, how is this happening? I, he, he was trying to figure this thing out. He was, the Bible says this, he was amazed at the miracle. He was amazed at the power of God that was manifesting. And then the apostles come down. They lay hands on people. It doesn't say here that they spoke in tongues. Most people assume that that's what happened. I'm going to go with that. Assuming because there was some external evidence, right, to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Lays hands on them. He sees that. He's like, oh, my goodness. He goes on ahead. He gets his wallet out. He's like, yo, check this out. I'm going to give you everything I got. I, I, I want to pay you for that power. And this is when his heart is revealed. Now, I want you to know, see, because this, when, when I read this story, it messes me up. Because I look at that, and I think in today's context, right? Somebody comes and want to bless you with an offering because they want, they, they want a blessing. You know, what do we do? What do we do? Oh, God's trying to bless me. Hold on a second. Is God trying to bless you? You hear this stuff all the time. Now, this is craziness. You know, send me an offering, and you're going to get. Hold on a second. Time out. Beware of those preachers. You know, give me this. Beware of that stuff because that is not biblical. An apostle wouldn't do that. An apostle wouldn't say, give me money so I can bless you. No. Because they're, the, they're not the blesser. Jesus is. They understand that. And so this is the mindset that, 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 we, that we deal with today. He goes on ahead. And, he t- and let me tell you something else that happened because the story gets even better. He doesn't wait to go and have a private counseling session with Philip. I mean with, with, with Simon. He doesn't, he doesn't say, yo, do we need to go talk over here. That isn't what he did. He turns over to him in front of everyone, and he says, you, you, your money perish with you. Oh, glory to God. We don't do that today because that's politically incorrect. We can't rebuke people openly because that's offensive. Hold on a second. If you, re- you keep reading your Bible, you're going to find Paul is like rebuke. He's talking about elders in this particular context in 1 Timothy. He's like, when an elder is caught in sin, you do what? Rebuke him publicly for what? So everyone else will fear. So the way the church will know, we don't tolerate sin. But see, today, you know, we want to, like, massage people. Like, come on over here. Let me work with you. Hold on a second. I guarantee you, wasn't nobody else acting crazy after that. I promise you, no one else was like, yo, let me hook you up. They were like, no, let me repent of my sin. They knew, wait a second, that's not the way that this happened. And listen, Peter, I want you to get this. Peter was not trying to be mean just to be mean. Peter was a man of God, filled with the Spirit of God, and he was communicating. He was saying, listen, you and your money perish. He says, because you thought you could buy the gift of God. He said, but your heart is not right. So hold on a second. This guy believed, apparently. This guy was baptized. He was following. But wait a second. The story continues on because he tells him to repent. And, 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 and the, way that, the way that Peter communicates this, it, 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 really, it really messes me up. As he says in verse, in verse 22, he says, Repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God if perhaps. There's not even like a guarantee that God is going to forgive this guy. This is so crazy. Like he wasn't like trying to say, listen, God is going to forgive you. He was like, perhaps. Because you know what God does? God looks at the heart. And you know what God did? God showed Peter 
the wickedness in Simon's heart. He showed him, your heart is wicked. He said, you are bound in iniquity and you are filled with bitterness. Why was he bitter? What was he bitter about? Listen, this dude had a gig. These people thought he was the great power. Guess who was hooking him up? Anybody who had an issue, they're coming to Simon. Yo, we're going to Simon the Sorcerer. Hello, somebody. We're going to give him some money so he can do something to help our situation. Philip walks into the place. All of a sudden, people are like, we don't need you anymore. This Jesus is doing things. We don't need you to fix stuff temporarily. Demons, right? Because this witchcraft is going on. And so these demons are, these people are demon possessed. Understand this. When, oh my goodness. Well, what is happening is this is a sorcerer. This is like a witch doctor. That's what he is. And these people are seeming like everything is okay. And you know what's happening to them? They're becoming possessed by demons. Well, demons will do that. Oh yeah, they'll do that. They'll do anything to make you believe that you are all right and you don't need God. Peter, Philip starts preaching. These people start manifesting. Demons are getting cast out. This guy is bitter. He's like, man, this guy's taking my gig. That's the reason why he wanted the power of the Holy Ghost. He's like, well, if I have that power, then they'll come back to me. That's why he wanted it. But this is why it's so important that we preach the gospel completely. Because Philip needed to make sure, and he did because he preached Jesus, and we'll see him do it again when he does it to the Ethiopian. But we, but we need to make sure that the gospel is preached, that God is holy. Amen? That the, the gospel starts with God being holy, God being pure, God being righteous, and God being a loving God. That's what it talks about. But then the next part of the problem is the bad news. God is good, and he is loving, and he is great, but we are sinful, and we are wicked. We are lawbreakers because we are born with this sinful nature. We are born into sin. But not only are we born into sin, but as we get older, you know, the book of Genesis talks about the youth, that from their youth, all they desire is wickedness. This is what the book of Genesis talks about. When you read in the beginnings and, 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 and when God is getting upset because from their youth, so when they get to an age, that's where we get this whole concept of age of accountability. But here's the thing. When, when you get to a certain age, right, you know, you see your kids, they do some stuff that is just wicked and crazy. The Bible calls it foolishness. Amen. That's why you have the rod of correction and you beat that out of them. We will, amen, that'll be another message. Y'all, y'all remember that? Okay. So, but here's the thing, right? Told y'all, right? You know, you beat the hell out of them. That's, that, that, that's what it is. Not, 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 okay, anyway, you got it. So here's, here's, but then there comes an age when it's no longer foolishness, but it becomes rebellion. It's no longer foolishness, but now it becomes their desire to get their own way in the wrong way. Not just a selfish kid that that's my toy. No, I'm not talking about that. Because they don't realize what they're doing. It's, it's when you get to that age where you want your way because it's your way and, and, and you just, uh, you know, your parents don't know anything. Right? Uh, seriously. And so what happens is then we become not sinful by birth but sinful by decision. Because we do two things. Here's one of them. One of them is we begin to overtly do things that are wrong. We just do stuff that we shouldn't do. Say things we shouldn't say. Watch things we shouldn't watch. So we sin that way. But then we also sin by the sins of omission. Because the first one are sins of commission. The sins that you commit. But then there are the sins of omission. Like I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to seek Jesus. I'm not going to pursue God. I'm not going to participate in the, in the fellowship of the saints. Hello, somebody. 
Right? Because some kids, they just can't wait till they turn 18 so they don't have to go to church no more. There's something going on inside of their heart. Now listen, we, we can do some counseling about that later on, but here's the point. Because maybe you're doing something wrong. But here's the thing. That wickedness begins to rise up, and then you know what that makes us? That makes us breakers of God's laws. And see, because God is a just God, because remember, he's holy, he's righteous, he is also just. You know what he has to do? He has to punish those sins. This is where the news gets really bad, and this is where I wanted to point out to you that it is very hard to paint the picture. I can't paint to you a picture that is gruesome enough of what hell is like. Because when we say the word forever, we say that too fast, just like we say Jesus died too fast. But when we say the word forever, forever is forever and forever and forever and forever. Forever just continues. Eternity never stops. There isn't like you are suffering for a period of time and then it is over. Because of sin, we experience the penalty of suffering. And that suffering is one, the greatest thing is to be separated from God for all of eternity. But not only am I separated from him, but I am in agonizing pain and torment because I have not responded to his love. That's the bad news. And when you communicate to someone, it is hard to get them to understand, you know, because some people think that they're kind of good. Some people think they're really good. Then there's other people that think, well, you know, I'm not perfect. You know, there's other people that think they're perfect. They really have issues. But here's the thing. There are other people, they realize that they're bad, but they're not as bad. They're not as bad as their coworker that is committing adultery. They're not as bad as that, you know, whoever. They're not as bad as them. They're not killing anyone. They're not hurting anyone. So they're not as bad. But here's the point. That person, you may be able to convince them, right? But that other person I told you about that's just righteous, like, I'm a good person. You know, I give to charity. I go to church. Now, listen to me. We're going to talk about this in a moment with the Ethiopian guy. I do all of this stuff that seems really good and really religious. Doesn't that earn me rights with God? No. See, this is the bad news. This is really bad. Okay? This is depressing. It should be. It should be. It should leave you hopeless. That is the goal, is that if you don't know Jesus right now, if you don't know him, you should feel hopeless. You should know that no matter what you do, you can never, ever appease God. You can never please him. But here's the good news. The good news is because God is just, he said, you know what? They're never going to be able to earn my righteousness. They're never going to be able to earn my approval. So what I am going to do is I am going to come into history. I am going to come in the form of a man. I am going to condemn sin in the flesh. In other words, I am going to show that I can live perfect. They can't, but I can. I am going to show what perfection looks like. Not just as an example, but because I am going to be the sacrifice in their place. And while they deserve this eternity of separation from God, while they deserve this wrath because they break my laws continually, while they deserve to be punished, I am going to be punished for them. I am going to die in their place. I am going to be, I am going to experience their pain, their suffering. So that way they can put their faith in me and they can be right with my father. That is the good news. And the beauty of it is that we have to, this is the thing, this is the tough part. See, that's the bad news. The good news is that once you put your faith in Jesus, once you turn from your sin and you put your faith in him, then he no longer sees you as that person who is wicked. 
He no, he no longer sees you as that person who was prideful. He sees you as a son or as a daughter. That's the good news. The beauty of it is that from the moment you put your faith in him and your trust in him and you turn from sin, that even when you fail, he is there to pick you up. His wrath is no longer for you. His grace is there for you. That is the good news. The good news, he gives you a new name in his sight. He doesn't remember any of your sins. That is the good news. The tough part is you have to make a decision. This is the part that becomes hard. Do you believe Jesus is who he is? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Do you believe that Jesus is the only righteous one? Or do you still think you're kind of righteous? Listen, I came to that point a long time ago. I'm not no kind of righteous at all. Hello, somebody. I am wicked. I am fallen. But by God's grace, I am who I am. Just like Paul, he said it clearly. He said, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle, but I am what I am because of the grace of God. And it is only because of his grace. And so what does he say? He says, listen, you put your faith in me. You trust in me for what I've done, and you turn from your sin, and I give you this new life. And see, because they continue to preach that message, they continue to communicate the truth of the gospel, and because they continue to speak that, when Peter comes on the scene, and he goes and he lays hands on these people, and Philip and, 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 and Simon's heart is exposed, there was no question. This guy was, was the first example that we see of false repentance. See, because he was the guy that comes to church because his marriage was messed up and he wanted to fix that. Is that a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing, but that's not, that cannot be the end. See, because here's the thing. You may come to church and your marriage gets fixed. I have seen this time and time again. I've been preaching for like 13 years. And so time and time again, I see people come to church, God does an amazing work, and they forget about him. And then you know what I've seen other times? I've seen other times where people come to God, and the only thing they came to God for was he would fix their marriage. They start fasting. They start praying. They're in the Word. They're claiming Scripture. They're just, I mean, they're all, they don't miss a service. They're here at 9 o'clock, not 9.30 to pray. I mean, they're, they're like all in this. And then I watch their marriage not get fixed. You know what I see them do? Walk away from Jesus. Why? Because he didn't fix their idol. See, here's the thing. God can fix marriages. God can restore our families. God can fix finances. God can do all of those things. But you know what God wants to do primarily? Change your heart. He wants to change our lives. And and if we don't get that, then what happens is we end up serving him for what he will do for us rather than what he's already done for us. We will end up serving him because we want something from him, not because we are grateful for what we have already received from him. See, here's the thing we got to understand about this guy because it would seem like, man, he was a convert. This guy was trying to give money to the cause. Hello, somebody. He seemed like he was all in it. But this is what we have to remember. The fruit of the gospel is never seen overnight, but time reveals the fruit of repentance. You know, when Jesus was talking and, and, and he's talking about the, the sower who went out, he said this sower goes out and he sows this seed, right? And he said that one, some of the seed fell on, shallow, on, on, on the stony place. And remember, the birds came. It didn't even give any, you know, he, it, didn't, it didn't give any kind of fruit or nothing, no kind of life. So you know what that person is? That's the person who comes into church. They're looking at their watch the whole time. They can't wait till it's over and they leave. Or the person who you're talking to, you're sharing the gospel, and they can't wait until you're finished. That's that person. And they don't, they don't receive anything. They don't understand anything. They don't understand that they need Jesus. And then there's this other place that kind of falls in this shallow ground, right? And when it falls in this shallow ground, this person right away, they receive it with joy. They're like, oh, yes, I need that. Hallelujah. And then things start happening, the sunrise, and then it burns up. And then guess what? It just doesn't. But it looked like it. They were excited. There were probably tears running down their face, right? They, they, they were experiencing. There was, there was a real experience. 
right? Then there's this other one, and this is the one that I want to focus on for a moment. There's the one that falls in the, in, 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 in the, in the ground, and it falls among the thorns. And the Bible says that as it grows up, it begins to grow, right? It looks like it's going gonna, it's gonna to bear this fruit. And all of a sudden, these thorns begin to choke up the life. You know what those thorns are called? They're called the cares of this world. Remember what I said earlier? I said what the enemy wants us to do is he wants to become so distracted with situations in our life that what we do is we become so consumed with those things that the fruit of the gospel never manifests because it is choked up. And so here's the thing we got to make sure. We have to make sure that we have truly put our faith in Jesus. And do we have cares of this world? Absolutely. Do we care about things that go on? 100%. But those things cannot consume us because if they do, they will choke up the life of the gospel that is supposed to be manifesting in fruit in our lives. And if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus, he calls you to repentance with love. And if you, listen, if you made a confession and you may, maybe you've come to an altar, I don't know, but you have said, God, I, you know, I, I, I recognize you as God and you've done that, but you know that your life is not living the way that you should because you're more consumed with the things of this world than you are with Jesus. He calls you to repentance as well. He doesn't want you to walk out of this place the same way that you came in. Amen. Amen. Say this with me. We must keep God's mission for us as primary. Look at verse 25 with me. Verse 25, it says this. It says, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now, I want you to notice this is talking about the, the apostles. And they are doing something that is a prime example of what we're supposed to do. They were in a city, right? They went to the city. And as they were walking, obviously they're walking home, you know, maybe in some kind of caravan. And as they're going back home, what were they doing? Preaching the gospel. They were doing what Jesus said. As they go, they were going. They were seeing people. They were communicating the gospel. That is what we're supposed to be doing. Amen? So they preached the gospel all the way home. And then it says this in verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scriptures which he read was, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his, in his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came, to, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Pause again for a moment. Notice, in Philip's communication, there was always something of a public declaration of faith. This guy, they were having a conversation. He's preaching, Jesus, you got to be baptized in the name of the Lord. So he's saying, he said, there's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Verse 37, it says, Philip answered and said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is, that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Verse 38, so he commanded the chariot to stand and to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him 
Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip, uh, caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So the apostles, they were going back to Jerusalem. They're preaching all the way home. Philip, he gets taken up. This is an, an, amazing, script, an amazing scripture that shows us the power of God. This dude was on mission with God. He was walking, doing what God said. As soon as the guy was converted, baptized, God takes him up and drops him off somewhere else and I need you to start preaching again. So he goes and he starts preaching the, the, the gospel all the way to his home in Caesarea. And why did I say that? Because he stood there because we'll meet Philip again later on in the book of Acts. But here's the thing. We must keep God's mission for us primary. What we saw earlier was persecution arose and the church Philip, the apostles, even in the face of persecution and potential loss of their lives, maintained the mission God sent them on as primary. They did not waver, but they preached faithfully. They didn't allow anything to hinder them from what God had called them to do. They committed and they devoted themselves 100% to preaching the gospel. When we look at Philip's life here, we see this. It is to be on mission with Jesus. We must be available to the Lord to direct us. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that the angel appeared and spoke to him. And so he didn't just appear to him, but this guy was in a place or in a position that he was available to hear God's direction. So question one for you, you're a Christian, are you available to hear God's direction? Or are you so busy in your life and your routine and what's going on with you that you never have time to hear from God? So that becomes the first question for us. The second thing that we got to see is this, is that we must not only be available for God to direct us, but we must be obedient to his direction. Somebody say amen. So the first question is, are you available to hear what God says? Second question is, when God speaks, do you listen? And I don't mean to say, yes, Lord, I heard you. I'm talking about, yes, Lord, I'm listening and I'm doing what you're saying. Because there's a difference. When I pray up here, I pray this prayer every single week. Not because I want to be monotonous, but because this is my real prayer for you when I preach the word of God. It is that you would not be hearers of the word alone, but that you would be doers. Because when, when I'm preaching, not every single word that I say is God. But what I am saying this is when I'm preaching the counsel of God, God is speaking to your life. The question is, are you doing what God is commanding you to do? When you are in your prayer time, if you have that time, and you are in the scriptures, and the Lord is showing you something, whatever it may be, are you doing what he says to do? Not just hearing him, not just knowing what he requires, but are you doing it? Because if you are not doing it, that is called a sin of omission. You are omitting to do what God has called you to do. Therefore, God calls you to repentance. The first thing is we got to be available to him. The second thing is we must be able to do what he is saying. And he empowers us to do it. The question is, are we available and are we willing to do what he says? And the third thing that we must understand, because I said this before, the mission is really about sharing the gospel. And so we must be available for direction. We must be obedient to his direction. And we must be committed to the gospel message as we see in Philip. And here's what I want you to understand. We must never, say this with me, we must never assume someone's salvation because of religious background bible knowledge or church attendance hear me we should never assume that just because someone grew up in church that they know jesus we should never assume that just because someone quotes more bible than maybe you that they know jesus that's not necessarily true see here's the thing this eunuch this guy What was he in Jerusalem for? He was there to worship, wasn't he? 
He was there to worship. He was devout. Not only was he there to worship, he was reading the Bible, wasn't he? That's what the scripture said. He was reading a scroll or something. He was reading a scroll. He was reading Isaiah. You know, most people didn't have that, but, you know, this guy, he was a treasurer. So, you know, I don't know how he got it, but anyway, he had some, right? He had this thing. He's reading it. So he's going to worship. He's reading the scriptures, and he still needs to be baptized. He still needs to make a public confession. He says it himself. He says, when, when Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? He's like, how can I unless someone guides me? You see that response? How many people are waiting for your guidance? How many people do you just assume their salvation? Well, they're good people, so maybe, wait a second, I don't care about all that. Do they know Jesus? Because that's what, that, that's what Philip did. The scripture says, he's like, who is this talking about? The prophet or someone else? And the Bible says that from that scripture, he began to preach Jesus. Brought him to the place of baptism. He communicated that to him. He made sure that he did that. See, this eunuch, I want you to understand his situation. His situation was this. He was a eunuch, which means that he, he was probably castrated. And according to the law of God, he wasn't allowed in the temple. So although he was going to worship, he couldn't go in the temple. So he still had this stigma. He still had something that was separating him from God. Because although he was going to the right place to worship, although he was reading the right scriptures, there was something separating him. And you know what he needed? He needed someone to tell him about Jesus because Jesus died, so there's no more separation. This is what he needed. How many people are like that? How many people are like that? We had an awesome time on Friday, on Friday night. We, you know, we, we normally rehearse on Sunday morning, but some of the music ministry, we got together. And when we got together, um, had, had our worship rehearsal. I told him it would be an hour. It ended up being three hours. Hallelujah. So, you know, when you pray for us, pray for the music ministry because they do work hard. Amen. And so three hours later, we decided that we were going to go to Denny's. I haven't been to Denny's in, like, who knows how long, and especially that late at night. So, like, midnight, we go to Denny's. We sit down, cracking jokes. We're having, you know, a good time over there. And as we're getting ready to leave, Lizelle, she says to the, she, she says something to the waiter. I don't remember exactly what her words were. But anyway, she came to the point where she, what's that? There you go. She's like, do you work on Sundays? And he was like, I work every day. And she's like, oh, okay, because I was going to invite you to my church. This is what he says. He's like, man, I'm actually looking for a church. Now, we were all messed up, right, because not one of us had an invitation card. <clears throat> and I was real quick to, like, be like, y'all, how, how y'all hearing me talk about invitations? None of y'all got invitations. Lizelle was very gracious to remind me, well, at least I said something. She's like, well, praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you for the reminder that you were the bold one here. Here's the point. I gave, I gave an invitation. I'll give you another example. I, I actually went back because I told him that I would come back. I found out when he was going to work, and I went back there. I'm going to actually follow up with him tonight because I wasn't able to give it to him because he wasn't there yet, and I had to leave. But I was able to bring it back there and give it, and, and give it to someone to give to him. When I was handing out my invitation for, the, for, for, for church, and I share this with you because we hear a lot of bad publicity and, you know, and, and all these bad things that happen. But when I gave an invitation to someone, they were so moved. They're like, you know what? No one ever, like, talks about their faith or gives any kind of invitations to things that have to do with faith. And so the point is, you know what? There's people that need direction. They need us in order to share this gospel with them, just to invite them to church. And so I encourage you to make sure that you are there. Here's the thing. While the enemy is endeavoring to vilify the church and silence the gospel, because he wants to make us look real bad, he wants to make us look like we're hateful and like we're bigots, and he wants to make us look horrible. And ultimately the goal is to make us not have a voice in the culture that we live in that so desperately needs Jesus. 
What God is doing is God wants to unify his church and advance his kingdom. So here's the bottom line. I said this about Stephen. I say this about Philip. God desires to use ordinary people to do extraordinary works by his grace for his glory. The question is, are you available? Are you available? Are you available? You, you, you've heard the story of Stephen. You've heard the story of Philip. So are you available to be used by him? And I read this last story to you and then we'll pray. On, in October 1857, J. Hudson Taylor, he was a missionary, and he began to minister in Ningpo, China. And he led a man by the name of Mr. Nyai to Christ. The man was overjoyed and wanted to share his faith with others. Mr. Nyai asked Hudson Taylor this question one day. He said, how long have you had the good tidings in England? In other words, how long have you had the gospel in England? Taylor acknowledged and he said that England had known the gospel for many centuries. And Mr. Nyai said this. He said, my father died seeking the truth. Why didn't you come sooner? Why didn't you come sooner? Mr. Hudson was humbled by that question that was penetrating because he had no answer. Why didn't you come sooner? So how long have you known the gospel? That's the question for you. How long have you known the gospel? And how far have you gone to share it personally? Have you even walked across the street? Maybe just walk across your grass. Maybe a cubicle. I don't know. You don't have to go across the, across the world to preach the gospel. We're supposed to be on mission always. Amen? Stand to your feet and bow your heads with me, please. If you don't know Jesus in this place, as I said earlier, call on his name. Repent of your sin. Recognize your need for him. Ask him to save you. Ask him to fill you with his spirit. Leave this place following him. If you're a follower and you know there's things that are choking out the life in you, repent of those things for allowing those things to be an idol in your life. Lay your heart down before Jesus today.